welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. This is Lisa, and I am here with Eleanor Brown talking about her new book, Any Other Family. It was named one of Real Simple's best books of 2022, the Washington Post 12 Noteworthy Books for July and August, Southern Living's Beach Reads Perfect for Summer 22, and Entertainment Weekly's 16 novels we're excited for this summer. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So glad to have you. (laughs) So Any Other Family um, is the story of three sets of parents who become a kind of family when they adopt biological siblings. So even though there are three sets of parents and the kids are being raised in different houses, they've agreed that they're still going to raise these kids as siblings. um, And they're going to kind of keep them together as one family unit. And the story takes place over the course of the first annual or first and last annual annual, depending on who you're asking, uh, family vacation where they go up to the mountains in Colorado, where I live, uh, to spend some family time together. And while they're there, they get a call from their children's birth mother telling them that she is pregnant again. And she wants their help to find uh, parents to adopt the child that she is expecting. And everything kind of goes haywire from there. Um. I really enjoyed this book. And one of the things I have to say straight off the bat, I loved was the chart in the front. I think (laughs) it's great whenever there's a chart because it really helps you when there's a lot of characters and you're like, who are they? And who are they related to? And just the fact that off the bat, I had a chart to refer to and flip back and forth every time I was confused. That was amazing. That is good. That is really good. That's extra good because you would not believe how much we agonized over that. So yeah, we have, um, so we have the, you know, if you're an adoptive parent, which I am, um, there's this sort of, you're constantly gritting your teeth, waiting for your child to come home with the family tree assignment, because we just haven't figured out a good way to represent adoption in a family tree, right? Is the adopt, is the birth family, the roots and the adoptive family, the tree or vice versa. So what the chart that you're talking about at the beginning of any other family represents the birth parents, the children, and then the adoptive parents as well. And we went back and forth so many times, like who's on the top, what colors do we use? Things like that. So I'm glad you found it helpful. I really did. Um, How long do you think it took you to write this book in total? Uh, So this was my 2020 project. So I actually wrote it faster than usual because I didn't have anywhere to go. (laughs) Um, And sort of from start to beginning, it took about a year. Uh, But that did include a number of breaks in there when I would send it off to my editor and she wouldn't have time to look at it for a month. It actually came pretty quickly. But again, I wasn't doing a whole lot in 2020 other than writing this book. Uh, All right. So I want to talk about the mothers. You have to start with the birth mother, Brianna. Yeah. And one thing I found really interesting about the book uh, and Brianna was that she was going to raise Violet. She really, you know, she was going to raise the youngest daughter uh, until Justin fled the scene again. Mm -hmm. And 
it's just it was just very interesting to me because um you know phoebe i think was most affected by this by you know the thinking like why would she now want to raise her daughter when she didn't want to raise me and i would say it was a good thing but i think for phoebe i think it was a good thing because i think that choice really affected her yeah so there's two pieces there um in what you brought up that i want to comment on so the first is one of my goals with any other family was to really break open a lot of myths and ideas that people hold about adoption. And one of them was sort of the role of birth parents in the situation that birth parents are in. So I know when I tell people my son is adopted, the question I get um, is always, oh, was the birth mom really young? And uh, the answer in in my case was no, uh, she just wasn't ready to parent. And that's actually very, um, in Brianna's situation, you know, she with she was very young initially, but she actually was of an age where she probably could have parented Violet, who is the, the, the baby, um, uh, in the, in the book. And, uh, but, she has this complicated relationship with the birth father. And ultimately, I don't actually know if the birth father hadn't kind of taken off, would she actually have gone through with parenting or would she have, you know, come to the point that she still wasn't ready? Um, and, you know, another a question I get a lot about this book is, you know, does this really happen? You know, did like, why can't she just pull herself together and parent? And it's like, every situation is different. Every birth mom is different. Um, but I talk to people all the time where it's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, for whatever reason, these women are, are in a situation where they're, they're not ready to, or not interested in, or not capable of parenting. Um, and so they're, they're looking to, to have the, have the children, um, you know, to make a plan for adoption. Um, and then, yes, this question of this was actually something. So I interviewed a lot of adoptive families and a lot of adult adoptees and a lot of uh, birth parents for this book. And I always say, like, you got to be very careful talking to a writer because we will steal whatever you tell us. Um, and one of the things that I flat out stole is that I, I have um, one of my uh, the adoptive moms that I interviewed, one of her daughters um, has a full biological sibling who her birth parents are parenting, but they did not parent her. Um, and she really wrestles with this. And I can absolutely understand that that's gotta be really hard, right? Like why would my biological parents parent this child, but not me? There's a lot of rejection that adoptees can wrestle with. And it's one of the issues that was really important to me to get into the book. But it can also be really emotionally complex. Like you're talking about this feeling of, of loyalty and guilt to your adoptive parents um, and uh, a feeling um, maybe like you don't want to know. I talked to a woman at an event the other day whose kids um, had gotten in touch with their, their birth family after closed adoption. They're now adults. And she said they came back to her and said, thank you. Because, you know, like I saw what my life would have been like if, if you hadn't adopted me and like, that's a whole emotional thing to go through. It's complicated. It really is. So I, you know, I, I think that it's good now that there's a lot, like, this is a good, like what you have is good. Like, I just, I think it's good that you have some kind of communication, you know, like all that time that passes, you're just like, I could have known this person. 
Right. And it doesn't. And that's, again, one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book is that when I tell people we have an open adoption, which means that we and my son have a close relationship with his birth family. We see his birth parents regularly. His extended family is in other states, but we see them when we can. Um, And uh, and what that means, um, when I say this to people, they are kind of surprised because it's not something they're familiar with. So I really wanted to put out there that adoption might not look like you think it looks right, you know, because we're used to this closed adoption. That's kind of the story that people tell. And it is not always possible. Um, I think of international adoption, you know, it's not always possible to have that connection with the biological family. It's not always advisable if it's a situation where parental rights have been terminated for abuse or trauma of some kind. But we do know now that when it is possible, it can be really healthy for the adoptee. Um, Adoption, no matter, you know, my son was adopted as an infant, we were in the delivery room. Um, you know, I, like, I, I hope we're good parents to him. He, we have this good relationship with this birth family, but I can't guarantee that he's not going to struggle with it at some point in his life. Right. You, you just, you never know. Right. All right. So getting back to the book. Yeah. I found it very interesting also that Phoebe chose Ginger to yeah. be her mother. That was just very, you know, it was like, and she called her Marmy. Yeah. yeah. So I really wanted to get a breadth of adoption experiences here. So I think that people have this idea that, you know, adoption is this last resort and it's only for, um, you know, families who have fertility issues. And that's not the case at all. There's all different kinds of adoption. There's international adoption and kinship adoption and foster adoption and um, adolescent adoption and embryo adoption. And people come want to form their families through adoption for all kinds of reasons. Absolutely. There are some cases where it's uh, fertility issues, but um, you know, in the book, I have one of the sets of parents, um, uh, the, the Perry's brother was adopted. Sorry, maybe sister. I changed that a couple of times. I can't remember what I landed on. Um, and so it, he really wanted, you know, to, to sort of recreate that in, in his family. Um, and so I also wanted to kind of touch on kinship adoption, which is when um, a family member decides that they're not ready to parent or not interested in parenting or can't parent. And uh, a child is then adopted by a relative. And that is very often a situation in which, you know, you have a relationship with this kid, but you didn't expect to parent them, but there you are. And that's kind of what I was trying to touch on with Phoebe and Ginger is that you just kind of never know. So Ginger wasn't interested in being a mom, wasn't looking to adopt. And Phoebe was like, nope, you know, I, she knew her through school. Ginger was a volunteer at her school and she was like, you're the one. Um, And that family sometimes just comes to you in these mysterious ways. And so Tabitha, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tabitha seems to be the, you know, she's the organizer. She's yeah. in charge of everything. She's the one who does everything. Um, and I guess they both saw her as very controlling, but, you know, it came from a good place when she's, when she says, I was only trying to help. Right. <laughs> that it, it, it was, it's that she really believes that she's only trying to help. She's not ca- trying to control. And I think what really um, is interesting about that was the whole thing with Tate's nighttime issue mm-hmm. about not being able to stop wetting the bed mm-hmm. and I think that's such a, a big part of frustration for her because she feels like she could 
almost control everything except for that. She has yeah. no way of being able to stop that. And she only wants the best for Tate. And she can't, and she wants her to go to that birthday party, but she can't go because she doesn't want it to be embarrassing for her. And then they come up with a compromise, which I thought was a good compromise. <laughs> well, good. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's so, I mean, first of all, again, like the bedwetting thing is something totally stole from another adopted fam- adoptive family. Um, it's a super common issue uh, in kids, you know, even if they don't have trauma, it's like this, this interesting question of control and connection to their bodies, which can be an issue for adoptees. So, yeah, but it's also, I think this nice metaphor for parenting where however you come to parenting and however you come to family, it's like, you cannot control everything, right? You cannot control other people and your child, like they come to you as they are. And I think being an adoptive parent is kind of lovely in that way, because I have no expectations, you know, for my son, like he is, he came into this world, the person he is, and, you know, I'm going to help support him and steer him. But I kind of, because I don't have that biological skin in the game, I don't expect that he is going to be a certain way. Um, And so I can just kind of let go and let him be the person he is, which is one of the lessons that Tabitha really needs to learn in this book is like, just let your kids be who they are. And Tate and Taylor, are both awesome, amazing kids. I really enjoyed writing them. And so, uh, so I hope Tabitha can learn to enjoy them in the same way that I did. Um, Elizabeth, I felt so bad for Elizabeth while I was reading this book. Just she, you could tell that she mentally never grieved from her fertility issues. She was having, struggling with her financial issues. She was struggling as a new mother. And then on top of that, her husband loses his job. And so it's like all these things just kept raining down on her. And I just felt like it was a moment, like it was going to happen where she was going to explode on Tabitha. Like it was just going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she, so I mean, with Elizabeth, I was trying to do a couple of things. So again, we do know that there are people who come to adoption um, with fertility issues. And so that's, uh, that's Elizabeth and John's situation. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of grief there. I also was getting at, um, a couple of things with parenting with her. One is that everybody has different stages of parenting that they enjoy and don't enjoy. I happened to love being an infant parent, Elizabeth doesn't love it so much. And that's totally understandable. It's a really hard time period. Um, But also I think that, and especially with adoptive parenting, there's this tremendous guilt because we have this um, narrative of almost toxic positivity about adoption that, you know, it's this gift and this miracle and this blessing. And it is all those things. And it is still parenting right? And so it is still frustrating and exhausting along with being wonderful. And so that's kind of her situation. And then something I think that's true of all of the mothers in this story is that they are very determined that like they have to do it themselves. And that's not the case. I think about this all the time. My husband and I are older parents. Um, 
and uh, we don't have other family other than my son's birth parents nearby. And I think about this all the time. I'm like, we were not meant to do this alone, right? It really does take a village. It's so much, it's so much better for everybody if there are other people involved. And I really feel like all three of the mothers in this book just need to learn that they don't have to do it alone, that they can ask for help from each other and support each other through this, um, that it's just not their, not their responsibility to do everything on their own. And, um, that it's okay for Elizabeth to have these feelings, even though her baby is a miracle and a blessing and a gift, she can still be stinking tired. (laughs) Yep, exactly. You could really tell that she was just stressed out, especially like that one night where she, you know, where Tabitha took the baby and she yeah. just, you could almost like feel like the weight just come off of her. Come like, off her. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like if you, I mean, if you've had an infant and like the first night they sleep through the night and like you wake up and go, <gasps> because like you haven't gotten that good night, just that good night of sleep since they were born, you know? Yes. I, I just really loved how the book really made me think about what makes up a family, you know, like what really makes up extended family they 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 all are I love it when they were talking to one of the perspectives and I'm sorry what are you again (laughs) they were all like intertwined and everything right and we don't have language for these things but we really should so um one of our our family friends um so they are so it's a husband and a wife the husband was married previously uh his wife passed away but she had a child. So, so he was a stepdad. Right. Um, and now this couple has a child, like, see, you need the the map right now. Right. (laughs) This couple has a child and his wife, his, his, um, previous wife's parents are like grandchildren, grandparents to their child. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, what's the term for that? We don't have a term for that, but isn't that a wonderful relationship? And don't we Mm -hmm. want to encourage that? So yeah, I was really just trying to get at the fact that it's like we, you know, family, I think all my books are about this to some extent, like family is who we choose to call family. Right. And, um, and, you know, you may have to come up with different kinds of loyalty and trust and different sort of relationships and different sort of names, but, but your family is who you make into your family. I also love that the book took place in Colorado, not just because you're there, but also because I love Colorado. I go there every summer. Oh, yay. <laughs> I, we go every summer. We stay in Denver. We go to Rocky Mountain. We go to Boulder and everything. Uh, could you tell me some of your favorite places <laughs> to go? My favorite places in Colorado all together. Yes. Um, so probably my favorite mountain town is Steamboat Springs. Mm-hmm. Um, I set the book in Aspen. Well, I set the book in Colorado because this is a new kind of family. So I knew I wanted it in kind of like a pioneer okay. state, you know, yeah. um, and I, I wanted to set it like money is a big issue in this book as it is in all of my books. And Aspen is just sort of the quintessential wealthy mountain town. Um, but Steamboat's probably my favorite. They also have an amazing library in Steamboat Springs. If you ever get to visit there, yes, the Bud Warner Memorial Library, they're wonderful. Um, and so let's see, uh, so that's like my out of state place. Um, my happy place here, um, so we have a great independent bookstores. We have Tattered Cover, which is, is sort of nationally known. One, yep. one of all of their locations are wonderful to visit. Um, uh, 
downtown Littleton, just outside of Denver. I don't know if you've ever been there. It has a super mm-hmm. cute main street yes. and we know a bunch of people who own stores there. So we love to go visit there. We have amazing state parks. Chatfield State Park is right near us. I don't know. I just feel so lucky to live here. And we were really lucky to be here um, kind of during COVID because Colorado just has so much outdoor stuff to do. So yeah, we were really able to take advantage of that. I love it so much. Just the like hiking, walking everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me today. And I will be highly recommending your book to all my patrons and anybody who wants to read. A lot of people like me like to read about families. So I think it's a really good book for people who enjoy domestic fiction, as they call it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to talk about. You know, I thought a lot about about book clubs when I was writing this book, and there's a lot to talk about and argue about. Um, So if you want to have a library book, book club, read it, uh, let me know and I'll call in and we'll talk about it. All right. Okay. So uh, thank you for joining me and I will, we will talk soon, maybe. All right. Thank you so much. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.